Welcome to the Teaching in Tech podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We are glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Well, welcome back to Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. Hope everybody's having a great holiday season. And uh, what we're going to be doing in today's podcast is a continuation of our 30 time-saving tips for teachers, which is an Apple resource that gives you just a a whole number of ways that you can use the technology uh, found in iPad to save yourself time as a teacher and to help make students more efficient in the classroom as well. And in the last episode, we talked about uh, six different things that came from this this particular resource, and there wasn't nearly enough time to go through all 30, and we're not going to go through the remaining 24 today, but what we are going to do is take a look um, at some other resources that we think are really, really useful and really helpful from this document. So Apple's 30 time-saving tips for teachers. One other thing to keep in mind as well is even if you're not teaching with an iPad or in a district that uses iPads, a lot of these things can still be translated over to the use of a Chromebook or even a PC. So with that said, let's get right into it. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about today is using QR codes in the classroom. And uh, Alan, one of the things that I see working as a technology resource teacher, sometimes there's a little bit of misunderstanding on when the best time to use a QR code is. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. So, you know, we, we've talked about this. One of the issues uh, is if you send a QR code in an email, uh, it, not necessarily going to work that way. Or, or on a flyer, I, I just received an email couple weeks ago from a company they sent me the link or they sent the QR code in the email and said just click the QR code well that's it it didn't work well you you could click the QR code but even if the QR code was linked correctly it's no different than putting just a regular hyperlink it was not hyperlinked I'll put it that way (laughs) so really the biggest thing is that the purpose of the QR code is that we can have a physical code posted in a classroom or in a common area where someone with a mobile device instead of having to navigate to a website can use the camera to scan that code that code is basically just a visual of a hyperlink which will then take them to that website without having to do a search or having to enter in the url so thinking about in a classroom environment one of the things that comes to mind is we have basic classroom info uh, that students need to access and a lot of times it's digital Uh, So one of the things that we can do is we can put QR codes around the classroom uh, to give students that information quickly. So here's an example that comes to mind right away. I notice a lot of teachers in our school have the Google Classroom codes for their different class periods posted on the wall. Mm -hmm. And that's that's definitely not a bad thing. But if you were to post the the QR code for the invite link where you don't have to put in that code, it's just going to take you directly to the page that allows you to join that Google Classroom. It kind of cuts out a step for the student where all they have to do is using their camera, scan the code, and then they're going to join that class. And I know helping kids log into Google Classroom all the time, I would would usually have to log them in. uh, Give them some assistance and some help. The ones, the I's, the L's. It it was just, you know, it it was a mix-up. So... Yeah, cutting out that step, 
uh, using a QR code, just ease of access. Yeah. So if you can cut that down, um, that's definitely a good thing. Another thing that comes to mind too, even a bathroom pass system, a restroom pass system, if you want to digitize that where there's a place where the students could scan the code, put in their information, and obviously depending on your building policy and, and what the students need to have to be in the hallway, but that would be a really fast way to keep track of it where the student's responsible and then you end up with a sheet that has some data there as well. You know, years ago we actually did something similar to that. We had uh, little wooden dog bones with QR code carved in it and every teacher had one and the student would scan it and put it on a on a sheet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when they come back, the teacher would scan it and it'd log the kid out. Yep. Check back in, check in, check out. So that's an, another time saver and a good way to use a QR code. Uh, and then another thing that, that came to mind as well is video content. So in most of our classes, we have some common things that students are going to need as resources. I'm thinking about a math classroom, for example. If you have uh, concepts or processes that you're working on and, and there's whether it's your own videos, whether it's Khan Academy, whether it's an outside resource, if you have, along with your uh, things that are hanging up around the room, QR codes to videos for tutorials, not so much during a test setting, but during like a work session or during practice, students could easily find those, scan them, and get right to the information that they need really quickly. I'm even thinking, and I never did this in the class, but I was like, if I were to go back on any type of practice work, you could attach a QR code next to specific types of problems. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, here's an example. You can go ahead. If you're using paper-based, yep, yep, for sure. And, and so those are some basic things. But then if you start thinking about the idea of making activities in class, QR codes can be really cool if you're doing a scavenger hunt. So, and this could be really going across many different content areas. But if you have it set up in a way that you have different things you want the students to find throughout the room, and then by scanning those codes on the wall that take them to different resources, whether it be a website, whether it be a video clip, whether it be a document, a Google slide deck, uh, you can structure your own scavenger hunt where they follow through step by step by scanning and getting the information from different things on the wall. So really all you're doing is using links to different websites. You think about like the old web quests we used to do years and years ago. Uh, that's really at the base of what you're doing, but what you're also adding then is um, some kinesthetics there where the kids are up moving around out of their seats, and it gives them a chance just to be a little bit more interactive and engaged. Yeah, the first time I figured out about QR codes and, and putting them in a class, we did a training um, with Apple that came in, and they had QR codes around the room, and it was pretty much, we were up for an hour, but you were creating something as you were going through. So every time you went around to the different parts of the room, you had to scan the QR code, follow different steps, and it was like a riddle to get you to the next part of the room. Very simple, but it, it got you thinking, up, moving around, and then I was still accomplishing something, so it's not like I had to get all the QR codes, then come back to my seat, sit down, and do it. it right. Was, you know, you, as I was moving around the room, I was working. Right, yep, and I think about that. Uh, even in a standpoint, if you're doing whether, and this could go across a variety of disciplines, but if you're doing like station or center type activities, QR codes are great to have at different stations and different centers as well. So as the kids are rotating from place to place, they can use those to tap into whatever resources you're trying to lead them to. And I'm even thinking along the lines of that, I used to do choice boards with kids mm -hmm. um, based on how they performed on maybe a formative. And so based, you know, score ranges, rather than having everything printed out like I used to do, I could have a QR code that would link them. If you scored this percent, this is what your, this is your QR code, scan it and they can work through it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then one last thing too, not to forget, we've gone over some ways just for 
basic classroom management, some ways that we can talk about how to use these um, to engage students to be a little bit more interactive in like a scavenger hunt setting. But the other thing I'm thinking about too is the other side of it is having students create their own QR codes. So if you're doing something that involves a student product, that's a great skill for students to know how those work and when to use them. And if they have some type of project that they've created that other students might be looking at, they could use QR codes too, or students, if they're doing, let's say, a gallery walk, for example, uh, going around looking at different items that students have created where they can have their devices with them, scan the QR code, uh, another way that students can get involved using them too. Yeah, can you walk us through a little bit there, Chad, on how, from, from the tech side, if I was teaching my students how to create QR codes, what would be the best ways to, to show them how to do that? Well, there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. Uh, in the past, we would use add-ons or extensions to do that. But one of the things that Google has actually added, there's a QR creator, um, QR code creator, right, embedded in Chrome. So if the students find like a web link, for example, that they would want to use, they can actually create that in Chrome um, just by going to the Omnibar and, and through the share button that's found in the Omnibar in Chrome, they can create that QR code, which will basically just be downloaded as an image. So it, it's a pretty straightforward process. And at one time, we would use third-party extensions and other ways to do that. Uh, but at this point, Google makes it really pretty simple overall. Uh, one other thing, too, that just came to mind, when you're, when you're dealing with these in the classroom or around your building to share information, you know, you're not just limited to iPad. Students have mobile devices that they can use as well, so a student's personal device can be used for that also. So even if you're in a setting where you think, well, maybe my school uses Chromebook, maybe we use PC, you still have the option to use student devices as well. And, and pretty much every student, it seems, has a mobile device that they could use in that way. Oh, definitely. At this point, let's teach them how to use it responsibly. Yeah. You know, and, and on the topic of... Uh, communication and sharing out information I think of uh, our next app which you know is the, the clips app so we go to iPad or or Apple you know the clips app that can be downloaded on those is uh, it's almost like a shortened sweeter version of iMovie and in that you can create little clips you can edit um, it's it's very user-friendly and one of the things that we talked about is being able to use that for parent newsletters or even communicating with students. Uh, in this, you would record in the Clips app rather than in the video app. And in there, you can chop up your video. You can add transitions. You can add titles. You can add um, different editing aspects. Of Filters. It. Filters, yep. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of iMovie back with Microsoft. used to give it to you for free. Uh, now, you know, paid, obviously. But um, I would say Clips app is much, user, much more user-friendly than even iMovie or the movie maker that Microsoft used to have. Yep. Yeah, I think that's part of the that's part of the basis of clips. It's just to give you think about Apple's Everyone Can Create series and the idea that they're trying to give you creation tools to simplify the process, whether it's video content, photos, um, even like publishing of documents. And add a little quality to it. And and yes, to make something that looks professional without a lot of technical skill behind it. And, and clips does exactly that. And there's a lot of, and when you mention parent newsletters, for example, you think about in today's culture the idea of like stuff being the, the whole TLDR, too long, didn't read. I used to send those emails, so I know exactly what that was like. Right. If you can give the parents a, a short, engaging video with the key ideas that they need and send that out, there's more of a personal touch to that from the video. And then it also is 
avoiding that whole concept of someone glossing over a really long text document or an email that they're probably not going to read through and understand well. Right, and I could probably articulate it a little bit clearer and a lot quicker through a clip video that's a minute long rather than an email that looks like it's 10 pages long. Yeah, and I get a lot of questions from teachers on clips just because there's a lack of familiarity with it at Mm -hmm. times. And so there's a short learning curve there just to figure out how you put your videos together. But if you did, if that's a tool that you use consistently where it became intuitive, where the controls were, you could really film those videos very, very quickly without a a lot of extra setup. I would have to say probably... Uh, in a shorter amount of time than it would take to create a whole newsletter, you could film like a high quality video with all of your announcements that you want to share really quickly. Oh, definitely. You know, some of the other things that I think about with the Clips app, um, getting students engaged with it. I I used more the iMovie, um, didn't know a lot about Clips when I was in the classroom, but I look back and I'm like, Clips would have been that much cleaner with getting the kids to create their own videos and having them maybe create like a how-to video or a docu-series based on the type of work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the projects I used to do is I had the kids create a commercial that would sell a postulate from geometry. Uh, In this case, you know, it would be, the editing piece wouldn't have been half of their project if I was using the Clips app. Um, And so having them kind of go through and you're embedding that student creation in the classroom, Mm -hmm. Clips would probably be, a lot more user-friendly in that case. Yeah, you think back to a, a few years ago, and you've mentioned iMovie a couple times. You know, everybody has their personal preferences. There's a lot of different tools out there when we're talking about video editing and video recording, whether we're talking about, you mentioned going back kind of to the old days, the movie maker, um, iMovie on, on Mac and, and iPad, online tools like Screencastify, WeVideo. So there's a lot of different tools out there. But right. the one thing that I will say, if I'm looking at it from a student perspective, working in the classroom, iMovie on the iPad, you can definitely build high quality videos with that. But as far as the controls and and the user friendliness, yeah, it's a good product, but much, much simpler on clips. And Mm -hmm. and you think about too, the new wave of, of social media and video creation, TikTok and that type of culture clips fits in with that really, really well. Definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, anytime I let into a project that dealt with iMovie, I'm having to go through even just the basic controls. And like I said, if, if I could guide the kids to that, they'll figure out a little bit of the rest on their own. But the, just even the features of Clips, you know, when, when we were toying with it over the summer through that, that Apple coaching, just being able to, to record, stop, cut, record, and it just kind of goes in a path, and then you can move and drag your transition. You're building your timeline at the bottom, and everything's visual, and it's just drag and drop, yeah. And for me, as someone who creates a lot of videos for teachers, how-to videos, tutorials, if I'm going to create a video, and even just a short two- to three-minute how-to video, if I want to use iMovie, I'm definitely going to be working on on my computer as opposed to iPad. Not that I couldn't do it on iPad, but just as a preference, I prefer the keyboard setup for that. And it's just, to me, a little bit smoother workflow. You could certainly train and teach students. And in case where you want something a little more intricate, iMovie might be the choice. But for the type of things that you're mentioning, like to do like a short commercial for a postulate in geometry, to to do a short video project, Clips is great. And as you mentioned, just the, uh, the user functions and the way that you can drop everything in a timeline. 
when if you want to add the text if you want to add the filters if you want to put a background in there it's all just really with a couple taps and, and the thing about it too clips is just as user friendly and just as useful on a on mobile phone as it is on an ipad oh right so if you're using it on an iphone just just as useful and, and so it's really designed for both those devices um, one thing that i was thinking about too how many times I spent so much time on a sub plan trying to put everything out line by line oh, yeah. for the sub. And then you don't know the subs coming in. They have a really tough job. They may not even have any background in your content area. Toward the end of the time I was in the classroom, I started just spending 15 minutes making a video for my students and going through. It's in your voice. They're used to your routines. I could explain what I wanted for them to get done today. And I could just put that in my in Google Classroom or you could put that in any learning management system. That video for the students saves you a lot of writing and really the sub can watch that and get just as much out of it as if you gave them a big long lesson plan that they're probably not going to get through and understand anyway oh yeah sub it, it's very difficult for them to come in and, and articulate the expectation the same way you would mm -hmm. and i think that kind of takes the pressure off of them of feeling the need to to try and help the kids navigate something they don't have a clue about mm -hmm. um, and no fault of their own and they can focus on just managing the room and making sure kids are getting whatever resources they need. No, I think that that's great. One other thing that could be mentioned too, if you're talking about making tutorial videos, as we mentioned a little bit with the QR codes previously, <clears throat> when you're making these videos, the one thing that Clips offers that I think is really, really cool is there is a subtitle feature where as you speak, it uses AI to then turn that into text on the screen. So you can make some really cool videos if you're explaining content and it's putting those subtitles at the bottom of the screen. I think that's a nice feature and is really a good fit for a, a how-to or a tutorial video. Oh, definitely. You know, we talked last time about Edpuzzle. Um, and if you're creating your videos in here, you can, you know, use that resource to kind of embed some of the questions along the way. I'm also thinking, you know, clips, keeping it within a couple minutes, really going to hit the attention span of your students, yep. as well as the movie-esque type of features of clips uh -huh. you know talk about pulling that engagement a little bit more yeah and you know you're a little bit of the app smashing that you're talking about there, creating on clips and then with the intention of dropping it into edpuzzle where you can add those questions and the other nice thing too when you start talking about using edpuzzle with something you've created there then you have a record of whether or not the students watched it with your how-to video or your right. tutorial and you can put some assessment type questions in there as well so that is really a, a nice a nice thing so moving on to our third, our third time saver, I think a really underutilized app in the classroom, maybe not so much in, in the iPhone user's everyday life, but in the classroom setting is the Notes app. And there's a lot of different ways that the Notes app can be beneficial. The first of which is it's really, really nice if you have an Apple Pencil or a Logitech Crayon. Now, if we're going to be talking about in the real world, not a lot of classrooms with like a classroom set of Apple Pencils for students to use. Right. Um, and the stylus is you know, depending on how nice the stylus is, some of those are a little difficult to use. Yeah, we're fortunate in our in our school building to have uh, several Logitech crayons available for yep. students. And so those are a couple interesting things about those. The and Logitech keyboards. crayon and, and keyboards as well. So we really have a nice functioning device when you take the touchscreen of the iPad, a stylus um, for teachers to bring in to, to use. We don't have those one-to-one, -one, but we do have several available. And then the keyboard, you've got a really a really nice functional device for them to use. Uh, Logitech Crayon is designed too for the school setting, so it's not just a round-shaped stylus where it can roll off of the table. It's kind of got an, an oval shape with flat, two flat sides, and so when those are sitting on tables, they're not going to move or go anywhere, which I think is really a nice feature. 
and they also are really easy to pair where an Apple Pencil has a few things that a Logitech Crayon won't do, but you do have to pair that to a device frequently. Logitech Crayon, long as it has battery power, you power it on. Bluetooth or Bluetooth. Bluetooth, long as you're a 6-gen iPad and above, it's going to connect immediately, which is, which is nice. So in the Notes app, you've got that full, if you want to, even for teachers or students to use just on a quick setting. For a teacher, for example, I have my iPad in the classroom. There's something I want to diagram or demonstrate from students. Boom, open a new note get my pen tools up there and if I'm mirroring my iPad to the screen where it's visible I can be drawn in different colors uh, and with different types of you know whether it's crayon whether it's pencil whether it's pen I can be drawn really quickly uh, and there's some other nice features there too if you're working with a stylus where you can actually do the auto shape where you draw the shape and then hold your stylus at the end and it'll lock in and make mm -hmm. that shape you know neater than what it would have been hand drawn so you've got that on the like basic level and you think about that for a teacher students as well if there's something they need to quickly jot down some notes on they don't want to type it out open a note if they have a stylus available you know they can get right to that and any of that work that you do is going to be saved into iCloud as long as you're as long as you're logged in which is a, a big deal I mean I had students that um, if they did not log in or save appropriately, we'd lose that. So that was a big thing to make sure that there is that connection piece. You know, another thing when you're talking about all the features, I, I used to have Notability in the classroom. Um, but another good app. Didn't. Yeah, I, I used to love Notability, but as the cost went up, mm -hmm. um, the number of users went down, especially in our district. It's just not worth paying for that with a large amount. So we actually started referring on the Notes app, which has a lot of very similar features embedded in it. Yep. You know, not, not necessarily as to the extent of notability, right? It's still a paid service. But, but if you're looking at the drawing, the typing, the adding the images, you know, you're, you've got a lot of benefits here with a free app that's embedded into the, into the device. Yeah, a couple other things to consider with the Notes app. So if, you, if you're not familiar with using it, the one thing that teachers are sometimes looking for is let's say, for example, that you use the Notes app and use the camera feature and then put a photo in there. So you can't, you can't annotate or draw right over the photo directly from the note, but when you tap on the, on the photo, when you tap on the PDF document, if you've uh, put one into your note, then you're gonna have those markup tools that you can go to and then uh, write over top, annotate over top, draw over top, just to get the notes that you want on there. And I think sometimes at the beginning, if teachers aren't sure where those different features are, that kind of turns them off a little bit from moving forward and using that in the future. But you know, you can insert tables into your notes, which can be very helpful even though you're not necessarily drawing inside those to annotate, but you can insert a table and then put data in the different cells of a table. You can add a checklist on that note, which can be uh, helpful for students or for teachers. And then my wife loves that on a personal level at home to create like a note and then make it a shared note between the two of us. And as things get accomplished, check them, off. check them off. And you can easily transfer that into a, into a classroom setting. Uh, I want to I jump back real quick. You're talking about the images and the, and the PDF. So, if anybody's not done this, it's pretty amazing when they added this feature for the scanning of the PDF. Yeah. Um, I, I had students doing this when we would do our signatures for our syllabus. Uh -huh. I mean, if you hold it over and it highlights the image perfectly and it scans the document in as if you were to run it through a scanner, yep. and you go into this and mark it up, you could actually have signatures download that and send it as a PDF or share it then as a PDF that then has the signature on it. Yeah. Um, and like you said, personal level, I, I would do this with the doctors. 
Yeah. You know, anything yeah. that you that you have that you can download that you sign or the kids taking notes on this. Um, you know, there's just that's an extra feature that was added that's definitely a benefit and it's cleaner than just trying to take a candid photo of the paper and using it that way. Well, I'm even thinking about for you know, we're talking about the whole purpose of of time-saving tips. You have a, a document or you have, let's say, an activity that someone shares with you that's in paper format, but yeah. you want it in digital format. Instead of taking the time to go home and look for a flatbed scanner, instead of just going to the copy machine and sending it through as a, a scan to become a PDF, if your iPad's right there, you can have, and you can scan them one after another, it's much quicker and faster, and you can do it all right from the comfort of your desk chair there without having to get up. And it's on your device. And it, and then it's saved locally on your device. So it is really a, a quick and a fast way to do that. And one last thing about notes that I think is really nice, too, and this could be a whole episode on its own, the idea of sketch noting. But I did a little bit of sketch noting in, in integrated science um, in my last couple of years in the classroom. And it was really it was an interesting interesting way to get students to think differently about taking notes. And so we were trying to make different sketches, different designs, not only for text, but also for images and tying together concepts. And what was great is they could use that uh, notes app to create their sketches. And as they, as they did, once they were finished, no matter how long their sketch note was, using the share button, they can convert that into a PDF and then turn that in via Google Classroom or whatever learning management system nice. that you're dealing with. So, uh, you know, there's a kind of a two-way thing there where you can import PDFs in uh, scanning documents, but then you can also take your work that you've created and send that back out as a PDF as well. The only thing to be, to be uh, I guess, aware of is that if it's a really long-running document and you turn it into a PDF, it doesn't actually uh, separate into pages so, it's just a full so you could page. have yes you could be really stretched out and really narrow and that may not suit the uh, suit the objectives that you're looking for but that that's one thing to be aware of if you keep it around a page that's usually pretty appropriate then it's a nice fit yeah, yeah so as we keep moving forward um one of the ones that i really liked as as i started using it more was the reminders app um you know we used to give out kids uh the paper copy planners for the whole school year, yep. you know, write down your homework, it had which content. Yep. Uh, but then moving into the Reminders app as we got the iPads, very simple to a little bit more uh, extensive if, if you wanted it to be, just going in and creating almost to-do lists. And, and so I would get the students, um, some of my more advanced kids, just because they were more uh, meticulous in detail as to what to do when. Mm -hmm. My other kids, you know, I work through more reminders and the due dates were on papers, but those that I put a little bit more pressure on, they would go in and use the reminder app and it's just as simple as open it up, hit new reminder, and they could put what it is and add some notes to it. Well, if it was due on a specific day, they could go ahead and select the date, select the time that the class started. They could go in and say, I need a reminder up to, I think it's a couple weeks before the due date, all mm -hmm. the way up to an hour before so the So similar date. to the iCalendar. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the iPhone, the calendar's a great tool. Um, reminders, it's just quicker. It's almost like using a planner. Um, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I use, I use them both. Uh, but reminders are for quicker things for me. My calendar's more for, like, appointments in my mind. It seems like if you're in a classroom setting that this would be a tool that you'd really want to get the students in practice where you're given direct instruction on how to use it, yeah. how you want them to use it, and then as they start to build that capacity, then it becomes something that they can do so kind of second nature. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, you know, I really focused on is 
you want to feel like you've achieved something. So crossing something off a list makes you feel good. Same as the checks in the notes, it, the check boxes. And that's exactly it. When you get to the reminders, you know something's coming up. Uh, you click on the reminder. There's a little circle there. It'll actually cross it off. And now on the homepage, since it's been updated, I don't know, within the last year or so, they actually have a to-do and they've got a completed. So you can actually, it'll move to the completed folder. You can open it up and see what all you've done. Oh, and nice. A running record yeah. of what you've completed. Yeah. So kind of make, you know, build in that little bit of achievement, that success. Uh, and, and then they've got that actually there to visually see. And an archive too, to go yep. back and look at them. Yep. Well, that's, that's interesting. And for anybody who's been in the classroom, you know, it's pretty common for schools to distribute, or at least it was pretty common for schools to distribute those paper planners. And just like with paper, there was a teaching and a learning curve with those too, to help students, especially younger students at the middle school level, learn how to use those and integrate yep. those as part of their, their daily routine. Creating that habit. And this is no different. It's just a digital space. And then you think about like the extension of the tool. So when you're just using paper and pencil, you've got all of your events recorded. You're able to follow through with those, look at when your due dates are. But when you go to the digital version, now you've got reminders and tones that you can set on your device. And so those are going to be things that are really nice to have because you're actually kind of extending the capability of your, of your reminders and, and how you're getting those. So next up, we're going to talk about just a couple things with the camera app. And this is something that unfortunately is not going to be quite as um, useful if you're talking about using a Chromebook, a PC, or a laptop. But one of the things that's nice with iPad is that you've got a smaller device, more of a mobile type device. And so the camera app has a lot of different features built into that camera, one of which is the slow motion setting. And when you're using the slow motion setting, there's some particularly with my background in science, there's a lot of ideas that come to mind. But when you're doing science labs, there's a lot of ways you can integrate those slow-mo cameras and the kids really can, they can use that to make observations, they can use that to make uh, some conclusions based on some of the labs that they do. Just to give you a couple examples from, a, very basic examples from a science classroom. So anybody who's ever taught physical science has probably done some type of potential and kinetic energy experiment using maybe it's a tennis ball, maybe it's a ping pong ball, different types of, of balls where you'll drop them from a height, mm -hmm. give them gravitational potential energy, see how high they bounce and, and uh, respond and talk about the transfer of potential and kinetic energy. Well, when you do that and you're just, and, and this is an activity that I did with middle school kids even going back 20 years ago, but it's really hard for them to really measure in centimeters how high that ball rebounded or how high it was able to bounce. But when you have them record it with a slow-mo camera, it makes it really easy for them to kind of track the movement of the ball, pause it, and then record the data a lot more accurately. And the second thing that it does compared to why, where you have a small group just sitting around a meter stick uh, with their materials and their lab sheets, it's really more engaging too because mm -hmm. then somebody has the job as the recorder, they can go back and, and you know reevaluate that data. So that's like a really basic way that I would think about um, you know integrating that in a science lab. Now another example of that on a little bit more detailed level. So there was uh, integrated science, one of the things that we would work on is moon phases. And so as an extension of that moon phase unit, what we did is we talked a little bit about um, the NASA missions traveling to the moon, did a little bit of research on that. And then for a STEM project, we created a moon lander. 
and the students would build those using a variety of materials like drinking straws, uh, a foam board for a base. Their astronauts were two large marshmallows. They were given like some mini marshmallows that they could integrate, rubber bands, uh, just a variety of materials. So the goal was then to talk a little bit about the idea of how that thing as they dropped it, the goal was to see if you could hold it at the highest possible point, drop that, uh, to the ground and then keep the astronauts from being ejected out of the cup and there was no oh, nice. covering on the top. Where the slow-mo camera part came in, which was outstanding, is that we were able to take videos as the moon lander was impacting the ground and then the students were able to see that energy transfer. So as the, as the moon lander would hit the floor, they could see the movement in all the parts of the moon lander and identify p- points that were weak points that maybe didn't absorb energy as much as they wanted it to and then go back and do the redesign on their project and it was really incredible instead of just dropping it watching the marshmallows eject out of there and kind of laugh and think okay well that didn't turn out so well they were actually able to use that slow-mo video to really analyze how the impact was taking place and then make a better project which is really the 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 you know the step process of STEM, the redesign of your of your prototype. And the redesign sounds more meaningful. If you didn't have that slow mo, they would just have to try and make some type of estimated guess on right. which part failed and what do I need to fix, or they just fix everything and not think you know give a whole different design rather than improve the design. Right. And when when that the first time I ever used that concept was prior to my classes even have one having one to one devices. So the first time I ever used that concept, I was actually using my own personal phone filming their trials trying to help show them that video then and make those connections. And now fast forward, you know, several years later, mm-hmm. where the students right within their lab group would be able to collect that data with their own videos. And the nice thing with that is too, think about this aspect when they take those videos of their observations and, and the work that they're doing in a, in a lab setting, they can actually insert those videos into a digital lab report, which also kind of extends a little bit. If they want to share, as I'm evaluating lab reports as the teacher, they want to share some things that they could maybe somewhat describe with words or pictures, but even better by embedding a video. Well, and then it's their own data. You know, it'd be very easy to go to YouTube and pull a video and just say, hey, this is what I'm talking about. Instead, it's I did my project, this is the piece, and this is how I changed based on this information or data. Right, and, right. You know, I think um, math, we did, we did uh, some of the similar things. We get into quadratics and parabolas, a little more difficult when you're in Algebra 1. I had the kids going to the gym. We would do, like, um, cornhole, beanbag toss. We would do basketball uh-huh. and, and getting kids to see, you know, ball goes up ball comes down and uh-huh. then we'd sit there in slow-mo they'd see it and by the end of it you know keep asking them what does that look like what does it look like and then we'd go in and start breaking it down and before you knew it they had something to reference what a parabola mm-hmm. was in the real world right so that, that's great i'm you know not to and not to keep all the the examples science kind of science centered but you know another one the mentos and coke um that mm. every kid Happens loves so quick. you know dropping that in there and it does it happens really really fast when we record it and here's the other part of it we would sometimes look at our variables of what type of soda we were using how many mentos you were dropping in how many you actually were able to get in the bottle without some of them falling out and how high you could get that plume of soda to go well if you've got a backdrop that has measurement markings on it and you're recording it, now you can slow that video down or even just using a, the pause button and kind of working back and forth till you get that highest point, you can get a lot more accurate data than if you're just looking at it with a really quick reaction and how fast can I you know, 
figure that out just looking at it. Look at sports. That's why now we have the, the instant slow-mo replay, slow mo cams. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and not to think that you know only math and science activities are going to be able to make use of the camera. You start to think about um, some of the other other activities that you might do, maybe in an English class in that type of setting, in a social studies class. It's not just the slow mo, but you've got also like the um, the extended motion where the it's going to go through like a time lapse as well. Yeah. You know, there's really some cool things that you can do with that also. So the camera app is really an, a, a nice thing if you can get creative. And by integrating that, kids kids really do tend to gravitate in a lot of cases toward those activities. Well, Just, the, the images, the videos, you know, we, like we said, it's, it's a very TikTok, Instagram-based world now. Yep. That visual piece really pulls a lot of the kids in today. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so uh, that leads us into our... Our last time-saving tip, um, and turning slides into movies with Keynote. Uh, so those that don't know, um, Keynote is like a PowerPoint equivalent in Apple. Uh, a lot of features that go into this, um, but Keynote actually has the option where you can export as an MP4. Um, so in, in this case, you know, in Keynote, you can go ahead and, and create your slides. You can actually go in and use some of the animation features. Uh, and from that, you can go ahead and you can actually create videos of the keynote. Now, Chad, you've had a little bit more experience of this than I have. Um, you want to extend on what you've done in the classroom? Yeah. The first thing I would just say is that talking to teachers in our in our building, from time to time, I get a teacher that comes to me and says, "Hey, I wanna I want to use this content that I have in Google Slides, but I want to make a video of it." And so usually the first thing I'll say is, well, you know, Keynote has a lot of features packed into it. What do you think about making a Keynote? And we turn that Keynote into the video that you're looking to produce. And a lot of times teachers are just really, they don't have experience. If they don't have experience with Keynote, they're kind of reluctant to try app. it. There's, there are a lot of features there. And so they're, they're not as willing to try it, even though, as you mentioned, just like PowerPoint or Google Slides, it's just a presentation, it's presentation software. Mm-hmm. And... So a couple things that you can do with Keynote that I think are are really cool. One, you know, we've all seen those whiteboard type commercials where it shows people sketching things out and drawing things out. So one of the things you can do in Keynote is you can, whether you're using a Logitech crayon, Apple Pencil, whatever stylus you might be using, you can actually animate your sketches on screen. So whether you're just uh, writing fonts or text, whether you're trying to actually draw sketches, you can actually animate those where they they basically come on screen and are an animated drawing just as you drew them as you were doing it, which is is really cool not only from the teacher aspect. I mean, you think about, for example, um, in your class notes, if you integrate some of that in there, if you get comfortable with that where you can do that where it's quick and it doesn't take a lot of time to implement, that could really do a lot to enhance your presentation for students with like animated sketches that show up in there. But secondly, then, what if you're teaching students to use those so they can integrate something like that into a project? That's really a nice feature, too. What adds that creativity piece, that engagement? I'm watching something. It's not just listening to what you're saying. Right. Yeah, it's audio and vis- you know, auditory uh, and visual at the same time when, when a teacher is presenting. And then another thing that's um, also really nice with Keynote, and not that you can't do this with PowerPoint as well, um, not, not a feature on Google Slides, is that you can actually take your entire slide deck and then convert that into a, into a movie, MP4 file, very, very easily just by exporting it. And you've got settings involved there where you can, whether it's um, your timings of how much time, how long each slide's going to stay on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, how long uh, between slides, 
all of those timings can be added right in there. And then you can also put a soundtrack behind it, an audio file behind it, so you've got uh, kind of a soundtrack playing as the video shows as well. Nice. Uh, you know, and that really it's not to just be limited with that because the other thing that Keynote has available too is you can put audio recordings as buttons into each slide as well, which is is also can be with your creativity and imagination, the sky's the limit on that. Well, we even talked about the memo app last time where, you know, if you're adding in a little bit of voice uh -huh. additions to it. Yep. So you could drop them in from the memo app, but the other thing you can do is you can also drop them in just by inserting a, an audio recording and just putting one recording right on that, right on that right slide. Right on the track. Yeah. And so that's, that's, um, you know, as far as we talk about time savers, that's going to cut out some extra steps mm -hmm. there. And that's, that's a nice feature too. But when you start putting all these things together, it really gives you a lot of different things that you can do. And one last thing I did want to mention when we're talking about Keynote, you know, we've talked about exporting uh, your slides as a movie. Um, we've also talked about the idea of animating sketches and drawings. So using that animation is, is a cool thing. Um, Keynote also has something called Magic Move, which is, is kind of a neat feature where you can actually kind of give an animation on your slides with your graphics where you can set where things will change size. And so, for example, if you want to actually talk about or zoom in on one particular thing, you can set your magic move where a small image becomes large as you focus on it. And so, I, for example... It's like transitions on steroids. Yeah, it is. It's actually just like a way to take your, your screen, your animation for a particular slide and really just take it to the next level. And so, for example, let's just say we talked earlier, I had my science example about the, the moon lander and our moon phases. You know, you could actually have like a diagram on screen of, of the moon and then when you get to that key point the moon like zooms where it gets much much larger and you get more focus on it and then when you're finished it zooms back to the smaller size. Oh that's awesome. So yeah so there, there's some really nice things there that are good attend you think about like the typical like boring slide deck that students are you know well, not you just click through not engaged with yeah if you can add some extra tools to your tool belt so to speak there you can really kind of ramp up the engagement with the movement and it enhances what you're instructing and talking about. I think about history class, you know, they, they probably use slide decks a lot more than mm -hmm. a lot of our other contents. And yeah. I know that they, they add a lot of imagery and they add a lot of video clips. But even now, I'm, you know, the, what you, did you call it, the moon? Or not the moon, the magic tool. Magic move, yeah. Magic move. Um, you know, you add that in, you know, it's just adding another layer of drawing attention towards specific right. things. Right, So this brings us to the end of this episode, and uh, hopefully these are some time-saving tips and maybe even just some tips that kind of foster creativity with, with your lessons and your presentations in the classroom. Remember to check the description uh, for this podcast. We have that Apple 30 Time-Saving Tips for Teachers document that will be linked there. Uh, feel free to follow that, that link and, and see even more than just these time-saving tips that we've talked about today. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find any previous episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.